Welcome to Play on Words. It is a beautiful day here in Victoria. So peaceful and quiet. I am thrilled to be here with you, our amazing listeners. Just you and me alone in the peace and quiet. This episode features a final chapter in the enchanting radio enactment of A Woman of No Importance. And enjoy yet another poem from the street in a make of a poem right now. Thank you, Booth. Booth. Boothy? Thank you, Boothy, for letting us in. Sorry, you never told me your name. Yes, Marjorie, you know my Did name. Did you know that the door was locked? We couldn't get in. We were knocking, but you probably couldn't hear in here. Yes, I am aware it was locked. Now, if you wouldn't mind stepping back outside... Don't be silly. Um, what was your name? You never have told me your name. We're here for the show. But don't get up. I know my way around. Now, where's Gerald? He was right behind me. Gerald! Gerald! I got the the boot the boothy the boothy to let us in. Oh, oh, there you are. Yes, yes, I'm here to sit for an hour in this isolation tank you keep bringing me into. Riddle me this: if there's an earthquake now, how are we supposed to hear it if we're trapped in this soundproof coffin? Well, you would feel it, Gerald. The ground would be moving around. No, no, that won't do. There would be vertigo. Wait, let me get my medical manual. I'll tell you the symptoms. You'll see how similar it is to silent earthquakes. Put away your medical books and sit down, Gerald. The door was locked for a reason. Psst. Hey, hey, why did you open the door? Uh, they're supposed to be in here. You can't lock them out. You, you, you try being locked in a room with them for an hour and then say that. One of you get us some tea? Ooh, yes. Some tea would be lovely. Do you have your chamomile, darling? Are you feeling down today? Are you looking for something to spice up your style? Well, I'm your new fashion consultant from Fine Footwear to help you out. Just come on down to your local Fine Footwear store to pick from one of 20 styles. That's right, 20 styles. We carry brand new men's, women's, and children's shoes for low, low prices. And right now we are offering you a special deal. If you buy two pairs of adult shoes, you can get one children's pair for half off. You heard me right, a deal for the entire family. So come on down to Fine Footwear today to turn that frown upside down. To receive the special offer coupon, just write your name and address on a penny postcard and mail it to the station. Hello? Is anyone there? When are we doing the poem? I've been practicing a new introduction. I was thinking of saying, I am here in cheerful downtown. How does that sound? How does that sound? Hello? Hello? And now, folks, the moment you've all been waiting for, Play on Words presents the final chapter in A Woman of No Importance. For your listening pleasure, Play on Words presents A Woman of No Importance, written by Oscar Wilde. (laughs) 
Lady Hunstanton and Mrs. Alan Beeser. Good morning, Gerald. Good morning, Lady Hunstanton. Good morning, Mrs. Allenby. We came to inquire for your dear mother, Gerald. I hope she is better. My mother has not come down yet, Lady Hunstanton. Ah, I'm afraid the heat was too much for her last night. I think there must have been some thunder in the air. Or perhaps it was the music. Music makes one feel so romantic. At least, it always gets on one's nerves. It's the same thing nowadays. I'm so glad I don't know what you mean, dear. I'm afraid you mean something wrong. Ah, I see you're examining Mrs. Arbuthnot's pretty room. Isn't it nice and old-fashioned? It looks quite the happy English home. That's just the word, dear. That just describes it. One feels your mother's good influence in everything she has about her, Gerald. Lord Illingworth says that all influence is bad, but that a good influence is the worst in the world. When Lord Illingworth knows Mrs. Arbuthnot better, he will change his mind. I must certainly bring him here. I should like to see Lord Illingworth in a happy English home. It would do him a great deal of good, dear. Most women in London, nowadays, seem to furnish their rooms with nothing but orchids, foreigners, and French novels. But here we have the room of a sweet saint. Fresh flowers, books that don't shock one, pictures that one can look at without blushing. But I like blushing. Well, there is a good deal to be said for blushing, if one can do it at the proper moment. Poor dear Hunstanton used to tell me I didn't blush nearly often enough. But then he was so very particular. He wouldn't let me know any of his men friends, except those who were over seventy, like poor Lord Ashton, who afterwards, by the way, was brought into divorce court. A most unfortunate case. I delight in men over seventy. They always offer one the devotion of a lifetime. I think seventy is an ideal age for a man. She is quite incorrigible, Gerald, isn't she? By the by, Gerald, I hope your dear mother will come and see me more often now. You and Lord Illingworth start almost immediately, don't you? I have given up my intention of being Lord Illingworth's secretary. Surely not, Gerald. It would be most unwise of you. What reason can you have? I don't think I should be suitable for the post. I wish Lord Illingworth would ask me to be his secretary. But he says I'm not serious enough. My dear, you really mustn't talk like that in this house. Mrs. Arbuthnot doesn't know anything about the wicked society in which we all live. She won't go into it. She is far too good. I consider it was a great honour her coming to me last night. It gave quite an atmosphere of respectability to the party. Ah, that must have been what you thought was thunder in the air. My dear, how can you say that? There is no resemblance between the two things at all. But really, Gerald, what do you mean by not being suitable? Lord Illingworth's views of life and mine are too different. But, my dear Gerald, at your age you shouldn't have any views of life. They are quite out of place. 
you must be guided by others in this matter. Lord Illingworth has made you the most flattering offer, and travelling with him you would see the world as much of it, at least as one should look at, under the best auspices possible, and stay with all the right people, which is so important at this solemn moment in your career. I don't want to see the world. I've seen enough of it. I hope you don't think you have exhausted life, Mr. Arbuthnot. When a man says that, one knows that life has exhausted him. I don't wish to leave my mother. Now, Gerald, that is pure laziness on your part. Not leaving your mother. If I were your mother, I would insist on your going. Mrs. Arbuthnot's compliments, my lady, but she has a bad headache and cannot see anyone this morning. A bad headache? I am so sorry. Perhaps you'll bring her up to Hunstanton this afternoon, if she is better, Gerald. I am afraid not this afternoon, Lady Hunstanton. Well, tomorrow then. Ah, if you had a father, Gerald, he wouldn't let you waste your life here. He would send you off with Lord Illingworth at once. But mothers are so weak. They give up to their sons in everything. We are all hard, all hard. Come, dear, I must call at the rectory and inquire for Mrs. Dobney, who, I'm afraid, is far from well. It is wonderful how the archdeacon bears up, quite wonderful. He is the most sympathetic of husbands, quite a model. Goodbye, Gerald. Give my fondest love to your mother. Goodbye, Mr. Arbuthnot. Goodbye. What name can I sign? I who have no right to any name. Goodbye again, Gerald. We are taking a shortcut across your pretty garden. Now remember my advice to you. Start at once with Lord Illingworth. Au revoir, Mr. Arbuthnot. Mind you bring me back something nice from your travels. Not an Indian shawl. On no account an Indian shawl. Mother, I have just written to him. To whom? To my father. I have written to tell him to come here at four o'clock this afternoon. He shall not come here. He shall not cross the threshold of my house. He must come. Gerald, if you are going away with Lord Illingworth, go at once. Go before it kills me, but don't ask him to meet me. Mother, you don't understand. Nothing in the world would induce me to go away with Lord Illingworth or to leave you. Surely you know me well enough for that. What can you have to say to him? Can't you guess, Mother, what I have written in this letter? No. Mother, surely you can. Think... Think what must be done now, at once, within the next few days. There is nothing to be done. I have written to Lord Illingworth to tell him that he must marry you. Marry me? Mother, I will force him to do it. The wrong that has been done, you must be repaired. Atonement must be made. Justice shall be slow, Mother, but it comes in the end. In a few days, you shall be Lord Illingworth's lawful wife. But Gerald... I will insist upon his doing it. I will make him do it. He will not dare refuse. But Gerald, it is 
I who refuse. I will not marry Lord Illingworth. Not marry him? Mother! I will not marry him. But you don't understand. It is for your sake I am talking, not for mine. This marriage, this necessary marriage, this marriage which for obvious reasons must inevitably take place, will not give me a name that will be really, rightly mine to bear. But surely it will be something for you, that you, my mother, should, however late, become the wife of the man who is my father. Will not that be something? I will not marry him. Mother, you must. I will not. You talk of atonement for a wrong done? What atonement can be made to me? There is no atonement possible. I am disgraced. He is not. That is all. It is the usual history of a man and a woman, as it usually happens, as it always happens, and the ending is the ordinary ending. The woman suffers, the man goes free. I don't know if that is the ordinary ending, mother. I hope it is not. But your life, at any rate, shall not end like that. The man shall make whatever reparation is possible. It is not enough. It does not wipe out the past. I know that. But at least it makes the future better. Better for you, mother. I refuse to marry Lord Illingworth. If he came to you himself and asked you to be his wife, you would give him a different answer. Remember, he is my father. If he came himself, which he will not do, my answer will be the same. Remember, I am your mother. Mother, you make it terribly difficult for me by talking like that. And I can't understand why you won't look at this matter from the right, from the only proper standpoint. It is to take away the bitterness out of your life, to take away the shadow that lies on your name that this marriage must take place. There is no alternative. And after the marriage, you and I can go away together, but the marriage must take place first. It is a duty that you owe, not merely to yourself, but to all other women. Yes, to all the other women in the world, lest he betray more. I owe nothing to other women. There is not one of them to help me. There is not one woman in the world to whom I could go for pity. If I would take it, or for sympathy, if I could win it, Women are hard on each other. That girl last night, good though she is, fled from the room as though I were a tainted thing. She was right. I am a tainted thing. But my wrongs are my own, and I will bear them alone. I must bear them alone. What have women who have not sinned to do with me, or I with them? We do not understand each other. I implore you to do what I ask you. What son has ever asked of his mother to make so hideous a sacrifice? None. What mother has ever refused to marry the father of her own child? None. Let me be the first, then. I will not do it. Mother, you believe in religion, and you brought me up to believe in it also. Well, surely your religion, the religion that you taught me when I was a boy, Mother, must tell you that I am right. You know it. You feel it. 
I do not know it. I do not feel it. Nor will I ever stand before God's altar and ask God's blessing on so hideous of a mockery as a marriage between me and George Harford. I will not say the words the church bids us to say. I will not say them. I dare not. How could I swear to love the man I loathe, to honor him, who wrought you dishonor, to obey him, who, in his mastery, made me to sin? No, marriage is a sacrament for those who love each other. It is not for such as him or such as me. Gerald, to save you from the world's sneers and taunts, I have lied to the world. For twenty years I have lied to the world. How could not tell the world the truth? Who can ever? But not for my own sake will I lie to God, and in God's presence, no, Gerald, no ceremony, church hollowed or state made, shall ever bind me to George Hartford. It may be that I am too bound to him already, who robbing me, yet left me richer, so that in the mire of my life I found the pearl of price, or what I thought would be so. I don't understand you now. Men don't understand what mothers are. I am no different from other women except in the wrong done me, and the wrong I did, and my very heavy punishments and great disgrace. And yet, to bear you I had to look on death. To nurture you I had to wrestle with it. Death fought with me for you. All the women have to fight with death to keep their children. Death being childless, wants our children from us. Gerald, when you were naked, I clothed you. When you were hungry, I gave you food. Night and day, all that long winter, I tended you. No office is too mean, no care too lowly for the thing we women love. And oh, how I loved you. Not Hannah, Samuel Moore, and you needed love, for you were weakly, and only love could have kept you alive. Only love can keep anyone alive, and boys are careless often, and without thinking give pain. And we always fancy that when we come to man's estate and know us, better they will repay us. But it is not so. The world draws them from our side, and they make friends with whom they are happier from our side, and have amusements from which we are barred, and interests that are not ours, and they are unjust to us often. For when they find life bitter, they blame us for it, and when they find it sweet, we do not taste its sweetness with them. You made many friends and went into their houses and were glad with them, and I, knowing my secret, did not dare to follow, but stayed at home and closed the door, shut out the sun and sat in darkness. What should I have done in honest households? My past was ever with me, and you thought I didn't care for the pleasant things in life. I tell you I longed for them, but did not dare to touch them, feeling I had no right. You thought I was happier working amongst the poor. That was my mission, you imagined. It was not. 
But where else was I to go? The sick do not ask if the hand that smooths their pillow is pure, nor the dying care if the lips that touch their brow have known the kiss of sin. It was you I thought of all the time. I gave them the love you did not need, lavished on them a love that was not theirs, and you thought I spent too much of my time in going to church and in church duties. But where else could I turn? God's house is the only house where sinners are made welcome, and you are always in my heart, Gerald. Too much in my heart, for though day after day, at morning or evening, I have knelt in God's house, I have never repented of my sin. How could I repent of my sin when you, my love, were its fruits? Even now that you are bitter to me, I cannot repent. I do not. You are more to me than innocence. I would rather be your mother, oh, much rather, than have been always pure. Oh, don't you see? Don't you understand? It is my dishonor that has made you so dear to me. It is my disgrace that has bound you so closely to me. It is the price I paid for you, the price of soul and body that makes me love you as I do. Oh, don't ask me to do this horrible thing. Child of my shame, be still the child of my shame. Mother, I didn't know you loved me so much as that. And I will be a better son to you than I have been. And you and I must never leave each other. But mother, I can't help it. You must become my father's wife. You must marry him. It is your duty. No, no, you shall not. That would be real dishonor. The first you have ever known. That would be real disgrace. The first to touch you. Leave him and come with me. There are other countries than England. Oh, other countries oversee better, wiser, and less unjust lands. The world is very wide and very big. Hester? No, not for me. For me the world is shriveled to a palm's breadth, and where I walk there are thorns. It shall not be so. We shall somewhere find green valleys and fresh waters, and if we weep, well, we shall weep together. Have we not both loved him? Hester. Don't, don't. You cannot love me at all unless you love her also. You cannot honor me unless she's holier to you. In her, all womanhood is murdered. Not she alone, but all of us are stricken in her house. Hester, Hester, what shall I do? Do you respect the man who is your father? Respect him? I despise him. He is infamous. I thank you for saving me from him last night. Ah, uh, that is nothing. I would die to save you. But you don't tell me what to do now. Have I not thanked you for saving me? But what should I do? Ask your own heart, not mine. I never had a mother to save or shame. He is hard. He is hard. Let me go away. No, mother. Forgive me. I have been to blame. Let me kiss your hand. Don't kiss my hands. They're cold. My heart is cold. Something has broken it. Uh, don't say that. 
Hearts live by being wounded. Pleasures may turn a heart to stone. Riches may make it callous, but sorrow, oh, sorrow cannot break it. Besides, what sorrows have you now? Why, at this moment, you are more dear to him than ever, dear though you have been, and oh, how dear you have been always. Ah, be kind to him. You are my mother and my father all in one. I need no second parent. It was for you I spoke, for you alone. Oh, say something, mother. Have I but found one love to lose another? Don't tell me that. Oh, mother, you are cruel. <laughs> but has he found indeed another love? You know I have loved him always. But we are very poor. Who? Being loved is poor? Oh, no one. I hate my riches. They are a burden. Let him share with me. But we are disgraced. We rank among the outcasts. Gerald is nameless. The sins of the parents should be visited on the children. It is God's law. I was wrong. God's law is only love. Gerald, I cannot give you a father, but I have brought you a wife. Mother, I am not worthy of either her or you. So she comes first. You are worthy. And when you are away, Gerald, with... Oh, her, oh, think of me sometimes. Don't forget me. And when you pray, pray for me. We should pray when we are happiest. And you will be happy, Gerald. Oh, you don't think of leaving us. Mother, you won't leave us. I might bring shame upon you. Mother! For a little then, and if you let me, near you always. Come out with us to the garden. Later on, later on. Please, let me be alone. If you insist, Mrs. Arbuthnot. Come, Gerald. A gentleman to see you, ma'am. Say I'm not at home. Show me the card. Yes, ma'am. Say I will not see him. Good day, Rachel. Can you have to say to me today, George Hartford? You have nothing to say to me. You must leave this house. Rachel, Gerald knows everything about you and me now, so some arrangement must be come to that will suit us all three. I assure you he will find in me the most charming and generous of fathers. My son may come in at any moment. I saved you last night. I may not be able to save you again. My son feels my dishonor strongly, terribly strongly. I beg you to go. Last night was excessively unfortunate. That silly Puritan girl making a scene merely because I wanted to kiss her. What harm is there in a kiss? A kiss may ruin a human life, George Hartford. I know that. I know that too well. We won't discuss that at present. What is of most importance today, as yesterday, is still our son. I am extremely fond of him, as you know. And odd though it may seem to you, I admired his conduct last night immensely. He took up the cudgels for that pretty prude with wonderful promptitude. He is just what I should have liked a son of mine to be, except that no son of mine should ever take the side of the Puritans. That is always an error. Now, 
What I propose is this. Lord Illingworth, no proposition of yours interests me. According to our ridiculous English laws, I can't legitimize Gerald. But I can leave him my property. Illingsworth is entailed, of course, but it is a tedious barrack of a place. He can have Ashby, which is much prettier, Harborough, which has the best shooting in the north of England, and the house in St. James Square. What more can a gentleman require in this world? Nothing more, I am quite sure. As for a title, a title is really rather a nuisance in these democratic days. As George Harford, I had everything I wanted. Now, I have merely everything that other people want, which isn't nearly so pleasant. Well, my proposal is this. I told you I was not interested, and I beg you to go. The boy is to be with you for six months in the year, and with me for the other six. That is perfectly fair, is it not? You can have whatever allowance you like and live where you choose. As for your past, no one knows anything about it except myself and Gerald. There is the Puritan, of course, the Puritan in white muslin. But she doesn't count. She couldn't tell the story without explaining that she objected to being kissed, could she? And all the women would think her a fool and the men think her a bore. And you need not be afraid that Gerald won't be my heir. I didn't tell you I have not the slightest intention of marrying. You come too late. My son has no need of you. You are not necessary. What do you mean, Rachel? That you are not necessary to Gerald's career. He does not require you. I do not understand you. Look into the garden. You had better not let him see you. You bring unpleasant memories. She loves him. They love each other. We are safe from you. And we are going away. Where? We will not tell you. And if you find us, we will not know you. You seem surprised. What welcome would you get from the girl whose lips you tried to soil? From the boy whose life you have shamed? From the mother whose dishonor comes from you? You have grown hard, Rachel. I was too weak once. It is well for me that I have changed. I was very young at the time. We men know life too early. And we women know life too late. That is the difference between men and women. Rachel, I want my son. My money may be of no use to him now. I may be of no use to him, but I want my son. Bring us together, Rachel. You can do it if you choose. There is no room in my boy's life for you. He is not interested in you. Then why does he write to me? What do you mean? On the table. What letter is this? That is nothing. Give it to me. It is addressed to me. You are not to open it. I forbid you to open it. And in Gerald's handwriting. It was not to have been sent. It is a letter he wrote to you this morning before he saw me. But he is sorry now. He wrote it. Very sorry. You are not to open it. Give it to me. It belongs to me. Hmm. You've read this letter, I suppose, Rachel? No. You know what is in it? Yes. I don't admit for a moment that the boy is right in what he says. I don't admit that it is any duty of mine to marry you. I deny it entirely. But to get my son back, I am ready. Yes, I am ready to marry you, Rachel. And to treat you always with the deference and respect due to my wife. I will marry you as soon as you choose. I will give you my word of honor. You made that promise to me once before and broke it. I will keep it now. And that will show you that I love my son at least as much as you love him. For when I marry you, Rachel, there are some ambitions I shall have to surrender. High ambitions, too, if any ambition is high. I decline to marry you, Lord Illingworth. Are you serious? Yes. Do tell me your reasons. They would interest me enormously. I have already explained them to my son. I suppose they were intensely sentimental, weren't they? 
You women live by your emotions and for them. You have no philosophy of life. You are right. We women live by our emotions and for them. But our passions and for them, if you will. I have two passions, Lord Illingworth. My love of him, my hate of you. You cannot kill those. They feed each other. What sort of love is that which needs to have hate as its brother? It is the sort of love I have for Gerald. Do you think that terrible? Well, it is terrible. All the love is terrible. All love is a tragedy. I loved you once, Lord Illingworth. Oh, what a tragedy for a woman to have loved you. So you really refuse to marry me? Yes. Because you hate me? Yes. And does my son hate me as you do? No. I'm glad of that, Rachel. He merely despises you. What a pity. What a pity for him, I mean. Don't be deceived, George. Children begin by loving their parents. After a time, they judge them. Rarely ever do they forgive them. May I ask by what arguments you made the boy who wrote this letter, this beautiful, passionate letter, believe that you should not marry his father, the father of your own child? It was not I who made him see it. It was another. What fendisiacal person? The Puritan, Lord Illingworth. I see. There is not much then for me to do here, Rachel? Nothing. It is goodbye then, is it? Forever, I hope. This time, Lord Illingworth. How curious. At this moment, you look exactly as you looked the night you left me twenty years ago. You have just the same expression in your mouth. Upon my word, Rachel, no woman ever loved me as you did. Why, you gave yourself to me like a flower to do anything I liked with. You were the prettiest of playthings, the most fascinating of small romances. Oh, what time is it? Quarter to two. Must be strolling back to Hunstanton. Don't suppose I shall see you there again. I'm sorry, I am, really. It's been an amusing experience to have met amongst people of one's own rank, and treated quite seriously too, one's mistress and one's... Ah! How dare you strike me! I... It is clear that I am not wanted here. Adieu, my dear Rachel. <gasps> he would have said it! He would have said it! Well, dear mother, you never came out after all, so we have come in to fetch you. Mother... You have not been crying. My boy! My boy! My boy! But you have two children now. You will let me be your daughter? Would you choose me for a mother? You of all women I have ever known. Miss Worsley, I wish you to know that you have made me a happy woman once more. I shall join you in the garden. Splendid. Shall we? Yes, let me fetch my hat from the table. Mother, whose glove is this? You've had a visitor. Who was it? Uh, oh, oh, no one. No one in particular. A man of no importance. A Woman of No Importance is directed by Aviva Lassard and stars Curtis Lockhart, Yukari Peerless, Annie Lepage, Fabricio Sosa, Glenn Sheridan, Julie Lee, Iziel Massey, Olivia Sosa, Sarah McKinnon, and Kirsten Matheson. Sound by Anne Kristen Blanken. Edited by Reed Eckert, Kevin Hammond, and Aviva Lassard.
Thank you for listening to Play on Words. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to Play on Words. Rate us, leave us a comment, and review the program at www.cfuvpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This program was produced by myself, Jordan Barron, Annie LePage, Tyler Swagar, and Max Collins. Music in this episode is performed by Vic Horvath. This episode was created by CFUV's production team. If you want to be a part of making amazing programs like this one, head to cfuv.ca to learn more. Play on Words is made possible with the generous support of our friends and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. I'm your host, Arcade. Until next time, lovely listeners.